Okay. So yesterday we saw chapter verse uh, 1 verses 20 to 23. Remember that the church has the authority to rule over creation. And in that creation, it includes all of devil and his kingdom and his dominion. And so understand that spiritual warfare, casting out demons is authority given to the church. And so that's why in 1 Corinthians 12, in the spiritual gifts, it doesn't talk about deliverance. Why? Because deliverance is part of the church's authority. When we talk about the authority of the church, we're talking about authority of the king. And that authority is the authority to reign over the dominion of Lucifer. The church is not influenced by the world. The church cannot, uh, the, the church's fate is not determined by what the world gives and does not give. The church is reigned over by God and God alone. The church lives by what God gives and by what God gives alone. The church is God's responsibility. And so how amazing is this church that what does the apostle say in Acts? That this church was purchased by what? By the blood of God. More accurately speaking, it was purchased by Jesus' blood, yes? And yet, he says it's purchased by the blood of God. Why? Because when the Son spills His blood, who is more tortured? It is the Father. And yet the Father was willing to purchase this church by the blood of His Son. And the fact that you have been called as a servant, as a caretaker of this church, means you have authority to reign over creation. Amen? The fact that you are a caretaker of this church means you are governors over the universe. And so to this glorious church, God has given these eight blessings. And we talked, we talked about the introduction to these eight blessings in verse 3 yesterday. That it is in Christ, that we are blessed in Christ. And they are spiritual blessings. And that they are spiritual blessings and they are blessings in the heavenly realms. And that already when the Holy Spirit came inside of me, I was already blessed. And I told you how important this is, yes? that the church needs to continually grow. That when the church member enters into the church, they constantly grow. Why? Because everything needed for your growth, all of the kingdom of heaven is inside of you already. And we call this the glory of God's riches. And we'll talk about this a little bit later. And so yesterday, there was one thing that I failed to mention when we were talking about being in Christ. And we first talked about this in the context of presence and indwelling. And so when we say that we're in Christ, it's talking, it has the principle of Holy Spirit dwelling within me. And so remember, we do not need to seek the presence of God. 
as long as I do not limit the Holy Spirit that dwells within me to that person, God pours out His presence infinitely. But when we're unaware of this, we tend to focus so much on the presence of God. That Lord, enlarge my church, give me more finances, help me to have more people. This is all presence. This is all you seeking for presence. Even give me power, Lord. For 33 years, I have never once prayed to God, give me power. And yet, I have never been limited in the power of God. All I have to do is live a holy life that doesn't limit the Holy Spirit that dwells within me. All I'm doing is continually emptying myself of the flesh that goes against God. I eat the word, repent, obey, and bow down. That's the life that I live. This is the most important paradigm of your faith life as a Christian. And God is speaking right now. Tomorrow night, we're going to engage in spiritual warfare. And to all, each, every single nation, we're going to send fire. Particularly, particularly to Nicaragua. All this work of witchcraft over Nicaragua, and also in IT. Where's IT? And also, IT needs warfare. That pastor from IT came forward earlier. IT, they are governmentless. They are nation ruled by gangsters. That's the first time I've ever heard about this in my life that there is um, insurance for kidnapping. Because so many people are kidnapped that they have insurance for kidnapping. So we need to pray for IT. And there's three brothers from IT, or brothers and sisters, and so they are giving their lives for this ministry. So let us pray for them, amen? And so tomorrow, for this spiritual warfare, I'm going to contact all the Soy Ministry Network churches that let us pray at the same time all together. Even in Korea right now at our church, the entire church is praying for you right now. And so especially this work of witchcraft over Central America, that Lord, help us to cut it down, to annihilate it. And so from here, we're going to send forth fire to all our nations and break down all the strongholds of the devil. Amen? Hallelujah. And so we talk about the spirit of witchcraft is diverse spirits. Why do we call it diverse spirits? Because first of all, there is a lot of them. There is multitude. And they have this tendency to make things dirty. And so when there's a lot of witchcraft, it's hard to maintain holiness. Especially in Latin America, the reason why there's so much witchcraft is because of the work of the great prostitute. The great prostitute and witchcraft are allies. 
And so we need to fight against both of them at the same time. That there is this worship of goddesses, of women. This is the great prostitute, right? The great prostitute. And so in Zoe ministry, in, in this remnant church, let us no longer tolerate the work of witchcraft. You need to have this pride, brothers, that uh, the glorious church is in this country. How dare the devil try to cut, touch me? Amen? That's the pride you need to have. Holy pastors such as you are in your countries. How dare the devil try? How dare the devil try? How dare you? No amens? Where's your amens? That's the pride you need to have, amen? So when you go back, all over the world, this one world order is taking over. And already the person who's going to be the Antichrist is in this earth. And already he is uh, extending his influence. For example, climate change. This has a lot of influence of the Antichrist. Now the spirit of the Antichrist has not yet taken over him. When it enters into him, that's when the tribulation will begin. But that spirit is already reigning over the world. And so when you look at the book of Daniels, there are several nations that will resist the rule of the Antichrist. And what's clear, according to the prophecy, is Israel will stand against the Antichrist. And which nations will stand with Israel? The nation, those nations whose remnant is victorious in spiritual warfare. So I pray that you will fight that good fight. I have been fighting this fight for 20 years. That I am controlling the uh, politics, economics, and culture of Korea. So that we will not stand on the side of the Antichrist. And even if we do end up standing on the Antichrist, it's okay. Because we'll just be martyred then, it's okay. It's simple. Either be martyred or uh, witness the return of the Lord as you survive until the very end. Either way, it's the same holiness. And so you are very important, brothers. And God has prepared you for this warfare, for this fight. God has called you for this glorious battle, amen? And so even now, everywhere we have, Zoe Ministry has gone, we are establishing powerful intercessory warriors, amen? And so please, continue to attend Zoe Ministry conferences. And, and if you could come for a month at our, to our church, that'd be great as well. How is God leading His church, raising up His church in this day and age? I want you to witness with your own eyes. How can a church, a single church, pray 24 hours a day? 
Our church has been praying 24 hours, uh, 365 for 15 years. There is great power and authority being manifest. So I want each and every single one of you to yearn and thirst for this glory. That's what this book of Ephesians will build in you. Amen. 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 Let's continue. Oh, and also, did, were you able to receive the... Uh, oh, so not yet, not yet. Okay. Uh, but please hurry up and make the applications for uh, the Young Adult Conference in June. And please also apply to partake in the conference in Israel. If you have faith, come, I will invite you. You will not regret it. You will not regret it. Amen? As long as you have the airplane, everything else will be provided. As long as you have the airplane ticket. Because my calling is to establish the remnant. Amen? And so, let's turn to today's word. But we talked about, I failed to mention this one thing about being in Christ. And so let's pick up the pace. Because we don't want to end in just chapter 1, right, brothers? So focus. And so being in Christ. This is the image of the church members living their life with Christ. And when you look at the Bible, all these apostles have their own particular characteristic. And there's some things that Paul is, that is characteristic to Paul. But, one, but this is something that every single uh, church member, every saint has shared. And this is all just an expression of that one life in the early church. For example, like this word, in Christ, is something that every single church member in the early church had a relationship with, of being in Christ. And so we also need to be in Christ. This entire universe is in Him. And that's why the church in Him can reign over creation. And so maybe you might think that this is so high and so unreachable. But remember, it's not based, based on whether you can or cannot. But what you need to understand is that it's a completely different dimension. In other words, if this world is in three dimensions, the world, the kingdom of heaven is four dimensions that, that encompasses all of those three dimensions. And so we're talking about a different of dimension. And so it's not about quality, like are you better or am I better? No, it's about complete different dimension. And look at how great this universe is, how large, large this universe is. 
Look, if even if we could travel at the speed of light, if in order for us to go from one end of the universe to the other, we have to travel for more than five billion years. And if you look at the revelation of Isaiah chapter 40, to, to the dimension of God, it's not about him going from one point to the other in five billion years. He folds the universe. So he can go there instantly. Because he is in a different dimension. And so the church is not bound to these three dimensions. We do not live by these three dimensions. We live in the dimensions of God. And so we are not influenced by this world. Just as two dimensions reigns over one dimension and three dimensions reigns over two dimensions. In the same way, the church has dimensions to reign over the universe. That is the kingdom of heaven. And so when we are bound in three dimensions, we live by physical space and time. Right, we call this in Greek word, the word is hora, time. But Christians do not live in the hora time. They live in kairos time. This is the absolute time of God. And so we'll talk about this later in verse 10. The world prepares and tries to be ready and that's when they can make something. But those who live by the Kairos time of God, they just wait for God's time. For example, look at our church. I say to someone, hey, you do a business tomorrow. Nothing is prepared, nothing is ready. But because God has said the time is now, hey, you do business. And in that year, that person made $3 million. Because he moves according to God's time. And that is the authority to move according to the time of God. And there are many examples that I, I have witnessed. And so our relationship to the world is not, oh, I influence the world, the world influences me. No. No, we reign over the world. We reign over creation. And so it's not a difference in quality. It's a difference in dimension. That's why the church is the kingdom of heaven. And so we do not live in the same dimensions of this world. Now, of course, our feet are ste stepping in this world. But my root, my root is in heaven. And so let's say that there is a dam here. And let's say that I stick my hand over this wall. Then am I on that side or this side? Which side am I on? Right, I'm on this side. Just my hand is on that side. But, but me is here, right? I am here. It's the same thing. Okay, you belong to heaven. But your hand is simply over this wall. In the same way you exist in this world. This is the words of Ephesians 2.6. 
you have been already seated on that throne. But at the same time, you are here on this earth, but your being exists there. And this isn't some ambiguous uh, idea. It's just simply because you do not live by the spiritual things that you're, it's hard for you to receive it. As I said yesterday, the spirit is reality. And this physical world is also reality. Your body is also reality. But which one are you going to live by? That is going to be your reality. It's because you do not live by the spirit that you cannot feel the reality of the spirit. And so, as, as we saw earlier, his arm being short is the reality of the present. But I saw with my eyes of faith that from the perspective of God that this arm should not be short because that's not how God created him. And so with my spiritual eyes, I commanded his arm to come out. And so we move according to the dimensions of God. Okay, look guys, I'm not talking about physics here. Right? I'm talking about reality. It's just simply invisible, but it is reality. Okay, if you go to uh, Spain over there, there is the deepest ocean. And if you go down there, there are fish there. But those fish have no eyes. Why? Because they don't need eyes in those depths. It's the same thing in the spiritual realm. If you don't live by the spirit, your spiritual functions start to fade, start to rot. And so it gets closed. So brothers, live by the spirit starting today. Do not live by your flesh. Do not live by your thoughts. Do not live by the impulses of your flesh. Amen? Amen? So let's continue. Wow, we're really unable to make any progress. Okay, so let's look in Christ. Okay, it's because this is really important. And so when we are in Christ, the most important essence for us to receive is this. It's in Colossians. That when we are in Christ, we are with Christ. When we are in Christ, we are with Christ. And so why are you not with Christ? Because you are not in Him. And so look, I have this object. Let's say I, it goes inside my Bible. Now where is my Bible? It's over my head, yes? Then what about that paper? Where is that paper? It's over my head, right? It's the same thing. Because I'm in Christ, I am with Christ. And when I am in Christ, I am with Christ. And, and so Paul it says in Philippians chapter 3, 8, that I would be found in Christ. And so the important thing is that in Colossians, it describes in Christ is with Christ. And when I am in that relationship, what happens to me in reality 
is that Jesus' death becomes my death. That when he died, I died with him. I've said this is historical fact. It's not ideology, it's not theory, but this is a real happening. Why is this not becoming your reality? Because you are not in Christ. But when you are in Christ, Jesus' death is my death. That when he dies, I die with him. Because sin cannot be separated from the sinner. That when he died on that cross for your sins, I died with him. And so his resurrection becomes my resurrection. Or first, his burial becomes my burial. This is evidence that you have died. And Jesus' resurrection becomes my resurrection. And Jesus' throne becomes my throne. And Jesus' return becomes my return. This is what Colossians describes. And so these five truths are historical truths in your life. And so remember that Creator God exists outside this universe. But the fact that He is the Creator God means that He partakes, He intervenes into history. And so how much does He love us? How much does He reign over us in His perfection? That He counts even the hairs of your head. That's why He loves bald men. So listen carefully. This is his right as the creator God. There is no God in, the, in any other religion that, um, that uh, fulfills both these requirements. Look at Allah of Islam. He is, exists outside this universe, but he never enters into this world. That's why in Islam there is no doctrine of salvation because God doesn't come to them. Look at Buddhism or Hinduism. These gods are all inside this world. And so they are nothing more than other creation created things. And we call this pantheism. And so they have no power. But only Yahweh exists outside this universe and yet enters into this universe. And he who enters is Jesus Christ. And when I'm in him, that these five historical facts become my facts. They become real to me. That I die with Christ every day. That every day the, the evidence of that death is in me. And his resurrection life rises up inside of me every day. And like it says in Philippians 3.8, that, that, that I long to know him in his death and in his resurrection. And to know his suffering. And this is being with him in his death. And his throne becomes my throne. That means that every day his kingly authority manifests inside him. And also his return becomes my return. What does that mean? This is Parusha. What is Parusha? Parusha is the coming of the king. But even now that glory, every day the Holy Spirit comes to me in that Parusha glory. 
if you look at Luke 4, when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came in the body of a dove, came somatico in the dove. Somatico means to embody. And so the heavens were split open and the Holy Spirit embodies in me. Every day, the joy of this parusha glory fills me up. This is the revelation of glory of Colossians 3.5. Very important revelation. And so, this parusha, we can look at it from two perspectives. The perspective of Jesus Christ who's going to come in these end times. But the second perspective is in the Holy Spirit, the glory of the parusha coming every day. Remember, this is a historical fact. And this happens when you are in Christ. And so through these five facts, your spirit continually grows. Every day being renewed. And so shall we remain in Christ or not? Of course, whatever it takes, remain in Christ. That there is nothing in this Bible made out of our efforts. All we have to do is have believe that He is in me. Believe. That's all it requires. Amen? Let's continue. And so now let's proclaim the first blessing. Are you ready for these blessings? Are you, we let us receive these eight blessings. Amen? Verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. And so again, all of these eight blessings continually repeat this one word. What? Predestined. It continually says, chose us in him before or predestined. And what does this predestination mean? It means that God has determined from before time began that this would happen. And has this word predestined ever appeared in the Old Testament? For example, is the same Greek word used here in the Septuagint? No, it's not. Predestined manifested itself when Jesus Christ came to this earth. And through Jesus Christ's coming, God has determined for this predestination. Before then, of course, God has this will, but this predestined could not enter into history yet. But now here it says he chose us. And so there's many ways to interpret that before the foundation of the world. We could look at this at the time of creation. That he has chosen us. Is this word chosenness in the Old Testament or not? This one is. Is is the Hebrew word bar. But it has the same meaning as predestination. That God has determined for this to happen. If you look at Isaiah 42, 1, it says that God has chosen him. That God has chosen his son to become man. Isaiah chapter 42 is about the Messiah. That the Messiah has been chosen to be man. This is the same word for predestined. 
And so Paul is using this word chosen to go, follow the same current of the Old Testament. And so this election, this chosenness is very important. If you look at Revelations, who are the remnant? There are many places that this is described. But if you, let's look at Revelation 17, 14. Open up to Revelation 17, 14. Who are the remnant? At the end of 14, with him are called and chosen and faithful. What does this mean? They are called and chosen and faithful. And so what is this calling? God calls us. I'm going to talk about this calling a little bit later. And you are servants who are called by God. Amen? And so whoever calls you is going to determine your fate. And the king of all kings has called you. The only one who can move you is him. It is not the president of Costa Rica that has called you. And so I don't move even if the president calls me. The only one who can move me is God. Because he is the one who has called me. Amen? This is really important, brothers. And so I'll talk about calling a little bit later. And so this word calling is the word kara. And this kara is our everything. That he has called me, this is my everything. And going beyond that, his calling never comes with regret. Because he has called me as his servant, God will make me into the servant that he wants me to be. It's not out of your efforts. Because he has called you, he will be responsible for you. Because he has called you, he will form you in this way. Believe in your calling. There are times where when I look at myself, I fall into despair. How am I a servant of God? But the reason why I can get back up is because God is the one who has called me. Because he, he is the one who will create in me. And so look, God has called us. And don't just stop at, oh, okay, I've been called and so he's going to make me. No, don't just stop here. Now you have to live out that election. What is it to be chosen? If you choose something, you have to abandon something else. As I said in Isaiah 42, 2, when God, my son, Messiah, when he, because he chose the body of a man, he had to give up, he had to abandon the glory of heaven. It's the same thing to you, brothers. Because God has called you as his servants, you have to throw away the world. You have to throw away your family. You no longer live, money is no longer the basis of your life. You have to throw it all away. God must be your everything. This is what it means to be chosen. And so the life that unites calling and election. 
This is the remnant. And so from this same perspective, Matthew has the same thing. Says the same thing. Let's turn to Matthew. Okay, it's because this calling is so important. Matthew chapter 14. Oh, chapter 22, verse 14. Chapter 22, verse 14, it says, uh, wait, no, oh, I'm looking at the wrong chapter. Chapter 22, verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. So see, look, it uses the same words. The king has invited you, right? Has called you. And so because you have been invited, you came to the feast. But it says that they were not dressed properly for the occasion. And so they were cast out into the darkness where there was gnashing of teeth. And so the king suffers. And the king bemoans that though many are called, few are chosen. Many servants have been called. But God needs to be their everything. But they do not give up the world. They do not give up their thoughts. They do not give up their methodology. They do not give up their plans. They do not give up their possessions. They do not give up their experiences. God needs to be your everything. That is what it means to be chosen. And so who, is this who are these people who are cast out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth? Are they unbelievers? Are they those who are destined for hell? No. No, if you are called, you are saved. So you are not going to hell. And yet, because they do not live a holy life of election, when that millennial kingdom comes, the priestly kings will come with Jesus Christ and reign over this world. But those who do not live out that election, they will be up there being trained in that darkness. And so many souls will come to the wedding feast of the Lamb. But are you going to come as the bride or are you going to come as the crowd? And so those who live out this chosenness are those who are the bride of that wedding feast. But many people are going to go as the crowd. Do you want to go as the crowd? Do you want to be the plus one? No, you want to be the holy bride, amen? Amen? And so let's go back to Ephesians. And so that's why it's important to be called and chosen. And so every day, throw away everything apart from God. Remember, life is not ruined because of what the world withholds from you. No, you are ruined because you hold on to things that God did not give you. It's the other things apart from Jesus that causes suffering in your life. We need to live by what God gives and what God gives alone. And that's when you will enter into glory. That is freedom. That is true freedom. Amen? 
And so I bless you that you would live out this callingness, calling, this chosenness, and this faithfulness, not out of forced, but God's glory is revealed and you see that glory. And that glory, God will continually reveal to you. And so let's continue. Let's continue. And so this election is the same word as, as a predestination. And so what is the first, gen, first, first blessing? that He has chosen you in Him from before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. Don't try to understand, okay, brothers? You do not need to try to understand this sermon. Just receive it in faith, and in your spirit, power and authority will work out the Word in you. And when you go back, come to our website and listen to this sermon again. God will do great things in you. So let's continue. What is the first blessing? That He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we will be holy and blameless before Him. And so nowhere in the Bible does it say that God predestined you to be saved. This is the first chip of the great prostitute. The focus of the Bible isn't about whether you're going to hell or heaven. It's not, oh, if you do not want to, if you want to avoid hell, obey. That's not what the Bible is talking. Bible is talking about glory. That how God has given you this great glory. And how can we live out that glory? And how can we go from glory to glory? That is the focus of the Bible. And so what does it mean that we are predestined? That it is God's will for you to be holy and blameless as His child. This is the principal, uh, principal essence of salvation. This is the result of salvation. That I am a child of God. And if so, then I need to live out my life so to be pure and blameless. And now, I'm not saying, brothers, that let's try. No, this is God's decision. And so why is the church important? Because in order for a soul to be holy and blameless, God pours out the glory to the church. God gives every necessary element to the church to transform a soul into a holy and blameless one. So listen carefully. This is God's determination. And so if you are sure in being a child of God, then this is the faith you need to have. That, ah, while I live on this earth, God is going to lead me into holiness and blamelessness. 
This is the essence of God's calling. You have been called to Jesus Christ and have received salvation. And you have become a child of God. And now through the calling of the church, you need to be raised up as holy and blameless. And this is why the devil is trying to kill the church. The devil tries to keep those who have not been saved from being saved. But to those who have been saved, God, the devil works to keep you from seeing glory. So remember, the Bible's focus is not whether you're going to heaven or hell. And so the church needs to be firm in their idea of salvation. It's not about whether that person has been saved or not. Is that person able to go to heaven or not? Don't be ambiguous in this. And so even if we all were to die today, you need to confirm that you will stand before Him. This is confirmation, assurance of salvation. And that church, your church, needs to have this assurance of salvation. The early church was never, uh, um, was always transparent in this assurance of salvation. And so that's why the principle of life is martyrdom. That even today, even right now, I could die for the Lord because I have this assurance of faith. That, and so, am I ambiguous? Like, oh, I'm not sure, I think? Then that means you have not. The Bible is not ambiguous towards your salvation. And so it's not, oh, we'll find out when he dies. No. Are you listening? Are you hearing, pastors? So assurance of salvation must be sure. And we'll talk about this later. But first thing, primarily, what do we need to believe? That I am a child of God. And I have been born again. And because I'm born again, God will make in me to be holy and blameless. Right, Romans 8.30 says that He has predestined us to be glorified. It's the same thing being described here. That God has determined for you to be glorified. In another perspective, if you look at it in faith, Hebrews 4, that our faith is to grow to Sabbath, to enter God's Sabbath. And so when we talk about our heart, if you look at Mark 4, it, it means that our heart needs to be the good soil. That when the seed is spread, sowed, it bears fruit on its own. And so this is all the same meaning in different contexts. Why? Because the goal that God has set for you is to be key priestly kings. That God has chosen for you to be His inheritance. And you are His heirs. You are His adopted sons. 
and as adopted sons, it means that you have received all of him. You have received the entirety of him. And going beyond that, you are a new creation. And because you are a new creation, you are not crawling your way to heaven. No, he has determined for you to be holy and blameless. Have faith, brothers. And so don't think that going to heaven is the be-all, end-all of Christianity. That is the lie that the Catholic Church has implanted into Christianity. That, oh, if you don't want to go to hell, you got to do this. Oh, because you don't know if your father is in he heaven or hell or not, give me lots of money and, and he will spring for purgatory. No, the Bible is about glory, not about heaven and hell. That's, I'm not saying that there is no hell, there is no heaven. There is. And so raise your hand if you're afraid to go to hell. As a child of God, you, hell should no longer be part of your vocabulary. Going more accurately, I am not going to heaven. The Bible doesn't say I go to heaven. No, heaven comes to me. It comes to me. Amen? Amen? Look at how amazing our God is. That he has predestined you to be holy and blameless. And so before you die, God will bring this to pass. And whenever you look at the New Testament, Paul in his letter says to the saints. So listen carefully. He's not flattering the church members. No, every member of the church is a saint. Because they are all beings who can die for the truth. And so if you look at the early church, whenever a person became part of the community, first they were trained in the house churches. And when he welcomes Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and has this assurance of faith, finally he comes to the community worship. And on that day, he is baptized. Why? Because he has already been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so now he is baptized to show and confirm that he is part of the community. He has entered into the community. That means that every member of the church can die for the truth. That they all have assurance that they have been born again as a child of God. That they do not call the Caesar of Rome curious, curious as Lord. No, they call Jesus and Jesus alone Lord. That you alone are my Lord. And so the early church, of course, was going to be holy. Of course, they're going to be glorious. It's so obvious, amen? But this doesn't apply only to the early church. 
it applies to the glorious church that is being established in this day and age. That every church member can die for the truth. That every single member can go out and minister in Christ's name. That every single member can go out and preach the gospel. Why is this possible? We'll see in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. We'll see that system that God has given to his church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors. Making, equipping the saints to serve. This word serve is the word diakonia in Greek. It means to uh, be responsible for the five uh, ministries, the ministry of ministry, of, of, of worship, of preaching the word, of, of offering. And so in one person, they can take all ministry, all five ministries in them. So they can go wherever they are needed. They can go minister, they can go as missions, they can go as worshipers. They can give everything that they have and they live by the authority of the word. That in their life, the word is manifest. This is what God does in a single person when he enters into the church. Amen? Amen? And so let us see. You need to open your eyes to the glory of the church. Amen? So what is the first blessing? The first blessing is that God has predestined you to be holy and blameless. And so this is the foundation of all the other blessings that is to come. That through being holy and blameless, all the other blessings are filled in us. And so, faith is about believing in the Word. And so, it's not about what we do, but what we believe. That when God speaks, it works in us. And so the Bible is not about works. It's about who you are. If you are a king, you will live as a king. If you believe that God has made you as a king, you will live as a king. There's nothing in this Bible that can be done by works. How can I love my enemy? It's because I'm a being that can love my enemy, that I love my enemy. You are not a sinner because you sin. You, are, you sin because you are a sinner. But now you have been set free from sin. And because of Jesus Christ, you are righteous. And because you are righteous, you live a righteous life. The Bible is all about your being. Because you believe in your dignity, you can live out that dignity. Let's move on to the second blessing. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And so this is something that no one can take away from you. Because God has already, it is his will. It is God's will. 
And all you have to believe that this is God's will. And because you believe, God will make it in you. And so all the issues of life is an issue of faith. If you look at numbers, uh, the Israelites complain against God and they get bitten by snakes. And so they start to boil up and they're about to die. And what does God say? Does he say that if you can take yourself to the Jordan River and wash, you'll be healed? If you go to the Red Sea and wash and bathe in the Red Sea, you'll be healed. Is that what God says? No. He says, lift up a bronze serpent. And if you look at it, you will be healed. Because all you have to do is lift up your neck. And so those who looked survived. Then who died? The ones who did not believe. The ones who don't believe are the ones who die. It's all about faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And so, the issue of life is an issue of faith. If God's word says this is who you are, then just believe. If God says that I will, I predestine you to be holy and blameless, just believe. Amen? This is God's will. And if it's God's will, then according to his will, it will be done. There's no other explanation needed. You don't need to ask, how is this possible? Or in what manner? No, this is the Hebrew, Hebrew mindset. Okay, the Greek mindset needs to examine and understand and dissect. But that's not the Hebrew mindset. The Hebrew mindset is you just believe. Leave your father and your father's household. Where am I to go? And how am I going to get there? How much money do I need to prepare? No, that is a Greek way of thinking. But what about a Hebrew way of thinking? Amen. And go. You just believe and go. And God prepares everything else. Which one is better to you? Amen. All you have to do is believe. And so what does it say in Hebrews 4.2? It's because you do not receive the word in faith that it is not beneficial to you. If you receive it in faith, it will make all of inside of you. The righteous shall live by faith. This is the prophecy of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And Romans 1, 17 says the same thing, that the righteous shall live by faith. Romans focuses on righteousness. Galatians 3.23 also says the same thing That the righteous shall live by faith The focus in Galatians is on faith And in Hebrews 10.17 it says the same thing That the righteous shall live by faith And the focus here is your life Your living In faith you will live out that righteousness this is the fulfillment of the flow of Habakkuk in the New Testament. That in faith you believe in your righteousness and because you believe in that righteousness, you live out that righteousness. And so when you receive that righteousness in faith, you live out that righteousness. And that state we call is a person who has assurance of salvation. Amen? And so the righteous shall live by what? Do they live by money? No. 
The righteous live by their thoughts? By women? <laughs> no. The righteous shall live by faith. All we need is faith. Amen? Let's continue. Okay, so let's hurry up and try to finish all eight blessings. And so the second blessing is that we were predestined for adoption to himself as sons. And so Jesus Christ was recognized as a son of God through what he suffered on this earth. He suffered great sufferings, yes? And but when we receive the merits of Christ in faith, then we are adopted as the same sons. He calls us by the same things. How amazing is this? What does it mean to be a son of God? It means that you are king. Remember, the word Messiah itself means king. The son of God, Christ, our Lord, all of these things mean king. And you have been created as a kingly being. As it says in Genesis 2.18, or Genesis 1.28, right? That uh, Adam was blessed to be king, but he lost it in sin. But Jesus restored that. And God has called us his sons. This is amazing fact. This is amazing privilege. So we need to live out that kingly life. And so Hebrews 2 says that you are priestly kings. Hebrews 2.11 describes how this is possible. For those, for he who is holy and those who are being made holy are of the same essence. So Jesus Christ is saying that me and you, we are the same. That we have the same essence. How amazing is that? That's why he is not ashamed to call you brother. That through all that he suffered, we have been adopted as his brother. And going beyond that, he was the only heir of God's kingdom. This is all Romans 8. But now you are fellow heirs with Christ. Receive this dignity, this privilege, this amazing um, privilege in faith. The devil has stolen this from you. And so as sons of God, it means that you are kings. And so from the perspective of the doctrine of the church, the church is the governor. It is the headquarter of, of the kingdom of heaven. Right? It is um, um, a regional branch. For example, like the Roman Empire, there's the Caesar, right? And Caesar would have client kings to, to rule in his name. And these client kings uh, were, were, had all the um, military might and the logistics of Rome behind him. And so the church, in the same way, are client kings of the he of heaven. 
And so God gives you spiritual authority as that client king. That when the church proclaims, none of those words fall to the floor. That as a client king, when you proclaim, it becomes law. And so are you receiving this in faith, brothers? That this glorious church is embodied in you. And he gives you personal authority. That as client kings, you, can, you have the authority over people to use people as you need. And so the church will not worry because they lack people. Even in our church right now, we can minister in all various languages. English, Chinese, Spanish, Hindi, Japanese. This tiny church in Korea, how is this possible? This is the essence of the church. God has given personnel authority to the church. That whenever it's needed, God provides. When I first established my church, I didn't have a drummer. But this sister didn't know how to play the drums. All she needed had to do was play dong dang, dong dang. But I laid my hands on her and I said, Lord, Lord, bring about your church. The church needs a drummer. Pour out your anointing, let her play the drums. And immediately she started playing the drums. And so, brothers, I'm actually preaching to you very slowly right now. But most of the time, I preach really quickly. And yet our translators follow along. Why? Is it because he's a good translator? No, it's because of the anointing. Because the anointing builds the person up. This is the authority of client kings. Amen? This is the church. So you may say, oh, our church doesn't have this person. It's because you do not know the essence of the church. You need to believe that as church, you are kings. And because you have personal authority, you have material authority. The church should not cry over the lack of finances. For the past 20 years, I've never had a problem because of money. That my ministry was limited because of lack of money. Simply, our church never had money. That's it. We never had money. Our church needs to send out $80,000 every month just for salaries. That means uh, um, every year we spend about $300,000 uh, $300, a year for various ministries. And the amount of money we spent on Zoe ministry for the past seven years is more than $20 million. And whenever we have these conferences, this conference right now costs $60,000. And our, our, we have no money in the bank. 
and this conference, we, we, it's only a month away. And we've invited pastors from all over the world, and yet we have no money in the bank. And honestly, I told uh, them to buy plane tickets for certain missionaries. And someone brought $5,000 and said, Pastor, use this money. But God told me, don't accept that money. And then I only have a month, a week left. All of a sudden, our bank account gets filled with that $60,000. This is the kingdom of heaven. This is the riches of the kingdom of heaven. The church has material authority. And the church also has natural authority. The church can move all the natural uh, forces of nature. I have many testimonies regarding this. Okay, well, several years ago, as we were going on a ministry to Taiwan, there was a typhoon that came in Korea. And so they said that the plane could not take off. But in faith, we went to the, to the airport. If we want to get to the airport, we have to drive across a bridge. But uh, the moment we crossed that bridge, the bridge was closed. But we arrived at the airport. And they said that the airplane cannot take off. And yet, our plane is going to take off. And so we got on the plane. And for an hour, they were delaying us. But I ministered to the heavens. Typhoon, stop in your tracks. And for five minutes, it stopped. And in that five minutes, our plane took off. There are so many events like this. The church has authority over nature. You are kings. You are client kings. Mater uh, spiritual authority, authority over people, authority over, over, uh, over finances, authority over nature. And so for this reason, the church must engage in spiritual warfare. Because you are client kings. All the filthy devils that are in your region are going to constantly challenge your authority. They are not going to acknowledge your authority and lay down their arms. No, you need to overpower them with strength, with force. But this is not difficult. That's why you need to engage in spiritual warfare. If you do not engage in spiritual warfare, everything will be taken from you. The result of Ephesians shows the church as what? As a fighting church. So I bless that your church will rise up as a fighting, fighting church. And what's the second blessing? That you have been given the authority as client kings. That you are sons of the king. Amen. Amen. The devil knows that the church is king. And that's why he works hard to put the church to death. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. 
that we cannot fall back to the devil. It's not possible. We must trample the devil. Amen? What, let's look at the third blessing. Verse 6. Because we are client kings, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And so as client kings of the kingdom of heaven, God provides everything we need, all the authority, all the logistics, all the material, all the manpower, right? Grace means what? Means a present, means a gift. God continually provides gifts to his church. And, and so as clan kings, what is our life? Our daily life is praising his glorious grace. So let's look at this third blessing. It's in verse 3, 7. This might take some time. This is important though. The third blessing, in him we have redemption through his blood with which he has uh, uh, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And so Ephesians talks about three kinds of riches. The riches of grace, the riches of glory, the riches of mercy. Okay, and so verse one eight, or chapter 118 says the riches of glory. Chapter 2, 4 is the riches of mercy. And here we see the riches of, of grace. And so uh, the glory of king radiates from him, from the king. And as a king, when he is manifest, this glory radiates. As the glory is the image of the manifestation of the king. And so glory is not something that you can give to man, you can ascribe to man. There is no way that you can ascribe man as glory. Only him who is the king can be ascribed glory. And yet, what is this saying here? That God has given Israel his glory. In Malachi chapter 3 verse 1, that the, to the church his glory has appeared. And so this glory that can only be ascribed to God has been given to you. Why? Because as I said earlier, you are sons of the king, right? And so listen carefully. You are getting tired, right? But, listen, but, but focus, focus. It's difficult, right? You're tired, right? And maybe some of you have heard these kinds of sermons before. But there are many of you who are probably hearing this for the first time. But understand that I did not invent this. This is in the integration of the Bible. That when 66 books of the Bible are integrated, the essence of the church is revealed. This is not invented by me. But the integration of the 66 books of the Bible reveal the glory of the church. And so I have preached of the seven doctrines of church. And when you look at all seven doctrines, you'll understand, ah, this is why we need to interpret Ephesians in this way. 
And going beyond this, more importantly, this is how the church actually moves. Amen? And so I bless you that this Ephesian church will be manifested in your church. And so let's continue, brothers. And so there's riches in Christ, and the riches, and the focus of this riches is the riches of glory. And that glory is given to us because of His grace. It's not because of our excellence, but it is God's gift, it is God's grace. And because He has mercy on us, He gives us this glory. And so glory, riches, our glory, uh, grace, and, and, and mercy is, 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 is tied together. And so the essence right now is the glory, uh, or the riches of glory. One moment. And so like uh, the prophecy of Malachi, the glory has come upon the church. And in the church, there's always glory. And for this reason, this glory must always manifest itself in the church. If there is glory, there is grace. If there is grace, there is riches. These three things are never separate. The church must always be filled with glory. That means that the presence of the king is always filling that place. Why is the presence of the king full? Because he reigns over that church. And so the, uh, it says that Mount Sion is touching heaven, right? And that's what we call the Garden of Eden. Right? But because of the sin of man, heaven and earth was separated. And as you look at Hebrews 12, uh, from verses 22 to 24. So let's continue. Okay. You need to absorb the grace so that he will not be tired. So to some of you, the word is being implanted deeply, firmly. So let us continue. And so essentially in the church is always filled with glory. Why? Because it is the place where heaven meets earth. That his throne is there. And he reigns. And so if glory leaves, that church is finished. Right? In the Revelations it says the candle will be taken from you. It means glory has been taken from you. And so when you look at three places in the Bible, Romans 8 talks about the freedom of glory. That when glory comes, there is freedom. So let's say there's someone who's really strong, but he is bound up. 
He cannot do a thing. True power comes from freedom. And so when the glory comes upon the church, they are free from all bindings. And in, when we want to look at freedom, we need to look at Galatians. Galatians 5.1 says clearly that you no longer bound as slaves, but you are free. So as priestly sons, you, as kingly sons, you have the right to freedom. And freedom isn't simply a slave being set free, but you are being restored to your place as the prince, as the son of a king. That is true freedom. And so when glory comes, there is freedom. And if you look at Colossians, it talks about the power of glory. When there's glory, there is power. And, this, and there is this practical power of the church. And then Ephesians talks about the riches of glory. That means everything needed for a soul to uh, fulfill God's predestination of holy and blameless that God provides. Why is one pastor able to preach powerfully? Is it because he studies? Is it because he researched? No, it's because he is the church. God provides everything needed for his children to be holy and blameless. And so what faith do you need to have, brothers? You need to believe in the essence of the church. It's not out of my efforts, it's not out of my preparation that I believe in. No, I believe in the essence of the church. That God has given the riches of his glory to the church. That God, God gives all revelation to the church. That God, in order to make his children as blameless and holy, he provides everything necessary. Amen? And the most important thing in the riches of this glory is that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And so the, es the, the, uh, the, the essence of this riches of this grace is what is his blood. And so from this foundation comes all other riches. And so this blood is most important. And what is this blood? What is this blood? Is it A type? B type? So let's look. Okay, we need a little bit of explanation here. So let's talk about this blood. But through this blood, we have redemption. And so before we talk about the blood, we want to talk about redemption. Whenever uh, the New Testament talks about redemption, 
This is the second chip of the great prostitute. What was the first chip? That as if the Bible talks about whether you want to go to heaven or hell. That's what the Bible is about. That is the first chip. We have all been deceived by this. Now let's look at the second chip. When it comes to redemption, it comes from the Old Testament word gar. And where is gar found? It's found in the book of Ruth when it talks about Boaz being the re kinsman redeemer of Naomi. And what is a kinsman redeemer? It means that he can redeem the inheritance. And so Jesus Christ, it takes the place of Boaz, redeems us as his inheritance. And so redemption isn't just simply setting you free, being free from sin, uh, redeeming you from sin, setting you free from slavery. Listen carefully. Redemption is about inheritance. And so the moment you have become a child of God, at the same time, you are his inheritance. And so what does this mean? Look at Romans 8. Let's turn to Romans 8. This was something that I wanted to look at earlier. Romans 8. We're taking out this chip of the great prostitute. I want you to see how amazing this is. Verse 14 of chapter 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so, to explain this, we need to talk, describe all of Romans 1 to 13. So God's Spirit comes into me, and that Spirit now leads me. Why? Because I'm a son of God. That the fact that His Spirit came into me means that I'm a son of God, that I'm a child of the King. So verse 15, and so, when you were saved, you have become a child of God. You are a child of the King. So secondly, verse 15, for you have received a spirit of adoption. And this spirit of adoption is very particular to Paul. When it comes to Roman law, when you are adopted, it means that you are inheriting the entirety of your adopted father. And so the moment you become a child of God, you receive full inheritance of the father. You are heirs. You are heirs. Just as um, Jacob, when he became heir of, of Isaac, that uh, the Manahaim, the heavenly host, protects Jacob. And so you have become heirs. And so in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
And so the, the most important work of the Spirit, the, why He came into you, is to continually witness and confirm with your spirit that you are a child of God. Even if you sin, you are a child of God. You are an heir of God. You are a son of God. Continually confirming this inside of you. And so in verse 17, if children, not just children, but heirs, And so this is everything that you received when you became a child of God. This is what it means to be redeemed. So you are not just simply being redeemed from sin, that He did not just pay the price of your sin. No, this is, this is a completely different dimension, right? And so this gar being uh, translated as redemption is the strategy of the great prostitute. You are forgiven of your sins, but you are no longer beings who live only to be forgiven. So what does it say? It says redemption of our trespasses. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And so it's redemption, but what is this redemption? It is forgiveness of our trespasses. And so forgiveness of trespass in Hebrew comes from, the root for that word of forgiveness is to send, to send out. And so listen carefully, brothers. If you look at Leviticus 16, it talks about the Day of Atonement. And so on the Day of Atonement, the high priest imparts the sins of the community on the scapegoat by laying his hands on that goat. And with that blood of that goat, he brings that blood to the holy place. And then he takes off his ephod, he takes off the vestments of his office, and only with clean linen he enters into the Holy of Holies. But when he enters into the Holy of Holies, he's no longer bringing the blood of the goat that has the sins of the community, but rather a pure blood that has no records of sins. And as the incense covers over the Holy of Holies, this curtain that separated the Holy from the Holy of Holies opens and he enters into the Holy of Holies and he sprinkles that pure blood, that clean blood. And so when you enter into the Holy of Holies, the blood that is necessary is the clean blood, the pure blood. Why? Because whenever uh, the, the Israel community offered an offering for sin, the records of that sin has been recorded in the Holy of Holies, has polluted the Holy of Holies. And so these sins needs to be wiped clean from the Holy of Holies. That's why the Day of Atonement is needed. And so uh, on that Day of Atonement, it is atoning the Holy of Holies. But the people could not see, were not witness to this. But now the high priest comes out of the Holy of Holies and he prepares the scapegoat. 
and he imparts all the sins of the community on the scapegoat. And this word scapegoat, this azaser, means to send. And so they send out the scapegoat into the wilderness. And when that scapegoat disappears into the wilderness, that's, uh, so if the scapegoat returns, that's wrong, that's dangerous. If God has forgiven the trespasses of Israel, then that scapegoat will wander into the wilderness and will disappear into the wilderness. Then as Israel sees uh, the goat disappear, that's when they give a shout of joy, saying, yes, our sins have been forgiven. And all night long, they have a celebration. That is what this forgiveness of our trespasses is talking about. This is the word that is basing here. And so this redemption means that I have been divorced from sin. Azazel, that all my sins have been sent out into the wilderness. How is this possible? This is what Jesus Christ has done for us. I talked about this very briefly yesterday. Okay, Apostle or John the Baptist, as representative of man, laid his hands upon our Lord Jesus Christ. And as he baptized him, what does the Gospel of John say? That, that John says to Jesus, I should be blessed by you. Why do, I bl why do you come to me? And what does Jesus say? He says, let it be done for all righteousness to be fulfilled that through you laying hands on me, I receive the sins of the world. And so that's why Jesus Christ is the Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes on the sins of the world. And so Jesus Christ came in this world in the flesh uh, because sin, has, uh, sin is in the flesh. That doesn't mean Jesus is a sinner. As Ezekiel 18, 27 says, that only a sinner is only determined by sins that he does, that he commits. But Jesus has received these sins for this day of atonement. And he died on the cross, spilling his blood. Because this blood is the blood that has the records of sin this sin could not be brought into the Holy of Holies. Or this blood. This blood had to be outside the camp. That's why he died on the cross outside the camp. This is all the book of Hebrews. And so he died outside the camp and he outside the city and he was buried. And in those three days, he went to the abyss. And in the abyss, he set free the captives. And he resurrected on the third day. And so in... Romans 20, or John 20, he meets with Mary, and Mary holds on to him. And the Lord says, do not hold on to me, Mary, for I need to go to the Father. It doesn't mean he ascended to heaven just yet, because he spends another 40 days with his disciples. And yet, why does he say, I need to go to my Father? Because now he needs to enter into the heavenly Holy of Holies. Just as the high priest entered into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, 
Jesus Christ entered into the Holy of Holies in heaven. And what does he need to bring? A pure blood. The pure blood that, uh, of the Lamb that does not have any records of sin. And so the blood of Jesus Christ has both functions. As he lived fully in the Holy Spirit, never sinning once, this pure blood of the King, with this blood, he enters into the Holy of Holies. And what's recorded in the Holy of Holies? The records of all the sins of mankind. That when, when man sins, all those sins pollute the Holy of Holies. And so with that pure blood, he atoned for the sins of man in the Holy of Holies. And all those sins have been wiped clean. So look, and for this reason, we no longer have these records of sins. And so, when you sin, does that make you a sinner or are you still righteous? You are still righteous. You are righteous in your being. And so if you do not believe in this ministry of the heavenly tabernacle, then that means that whenever you sin, you are destined for hell. And so you need to repent again and crucify Jesus Christ again and then go to heaven. No, 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 no. That's not the principle. You have become righteous in your being. And so now if you sin, you are no longer under trial. The devil can no longer accuse you because Jesus has wiped away any trial, any accusation. There is no longer any accusation to those who are in Christ. And so the important thing here is still we see that we sin. But what, so what does that mean? Because we no longer have the records of sins, as Romans 2.25 says, that your conscience has the functions of the law in your spirit. In your conscience, these sins get recorded. But this is not a big issue. Because when you look at Hebrews 10.26, the pure blood of Christ has been sprinkled on our hearts. That blood flows in me. This is the royal blood of Christ. And so when we repent, this blood erases all the sins recorded in my conscience. And so in Hebrews 10, 17, that I will remember your sins no longer. And so when we sin, we are no longer just being forgiven. When I repent, all the power, all the motivations of that sin is erased. And so the more we repent, the more holy we become. The more we repent, the more the power of that sin is erased from us. And so in Hebrews 10, 18, that we no longer need the sacrifice of the cross again. The sacrifice of the cross was one-time event. From that one-time event, we have been received righteousness. We have received holiness. And now through the ministry of the heavenly tabernacle, we are drawing to perfection. And so it says, blessed is he who washes his clothes in the blood every day. And so every day as we repent, 
all these sins that are recorded in our conscience are being wiped clean. And so we are continually growing in holiness. And so if you are lazy in this work, there's a problem. You have a resurrection, but a resurrection of darkness. And so look, your body will die and your body will rot. Your brain will rot. But your spirit is forever. Your spirit has functions. It has a function of intellect, emotion, and will. And this intellect and emotion and will is your mindset. It's your mentality. And in your mentality, it, re it records everything of your life from the moment you were uh, born in your mother's womb. And so every time you do not repent, these records remain in your mind. Look at the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. The, poor, the rich man remembers everything that he did while he was on this earth. And so when it comes to resurrection, Resurrection doesn't mean you are born into some new being. It just means you are being clothed with a new body. And so all the holiness that you've made while you were on this earth comes to life and is the same. And so as we continue to repent, we want to grow to the glorious resurrection. The ones who resurrect in darkness, we talked about earlier, they'll be cast outside in darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so 1 Corinthians talks about this truth like this, that they will stand before the judgment of Christ. We will not stand before the white throne judgment, but this resurrection of darkness, those who do not repent of sins perfectly, they will stand before the judgment of Christ. And so as we talked about earlier in Matthew 25, this weeping and gnashing of teeth. But those who resurrect in perfection will stand with the Lamb as His bride. And on that day the Millennial Kingdom comes, they will come with the Lord on the Mount of Olives. And as Palestine has this great earthquake, Mount Zion will rise up and the uh, Golden Gate will rise up from underground. And those who enter through that gate are who? The kings. And so the, with the kings will go with the king of kings, will go with the king of kings through that golden gate. This is what Hebrews 12 describes. Hebrews 12 describes. And so this redemption, forgiveness of sins, means that you are being perfected from sin. And so this is all happening the moment you receive salvation. You have become a new person who has nothing to do with sin. 
You are a new creation, as Paul says. And so that means you are a new being that never existed before. That you are a new kind of human being. So pray. Yeah, I kind of want to do an MB class to unravel Hebrews for you. It takes 21 sessions to go through Hebrews. Hebrews is really important for you to know. Or pray that the Hebrews would be translated into Spanish very quickly. So listen carefully because we want to end quickly. So look. This all was solved the moment you were saved. And so this dignity, all this glory was made in you the moment you were uh, saved. And so you are not only a new creation, but you are also God's temple. And so as a new creation, it means you are a being that has never existed before. And so you are a completely new being. Why? For example, it's like this. Uh, a prophet in the Old Testament. When a, when a Holy Spirit comes upon them, uh, that's when they can pour out prophecy. That's a prophet in the Old Testament. But if that presence disappears, all the power, the force, and the reward of that prophecy does not remain in him. And so the Old Testament prophets needs to wait for a certain period. And so look, what about the New Testament? The New Testament righteousness, let's say that I prophesied. Then the power, the force, and the reward of that prophecy continually is stored up in me. And going beyond that, this forgiveness of sins, the blood that cleanses me doesn't just cleanse me and leave. No, that blood remains in me. As Hebrews 10, 12 says, and 1 John 5, 8 says clearly that the water, the blood, and the spirit, that these three things are one. And so the word, the blood, and the spirit uh, dwells within you as one. Even just one of these things would be great power. But all three dwell in you. And so that's why God says that I will make you to be like me. Because these great things are inside of me, that's why I can understand where God is coming from. And so it's not your will that makes, brings this to you, but God's water, blood, and spirit in you, you live by those things. And when you are equipped with these things, you will become like Jesus. As Ephesians 2.5 says clearly, Paul says that be imitators of Christ. How can man imitate Christ? This word imitate is the Greek word huipos. Huipos means, um, means a waffle, right? A waffle. 
that you are stamped the same way every single time. This is the prophecy of Zechariah 8. That in that day, in that day, everyone will be like David and David will be like God. That means that all things inside of you will be made into be like God. That you have been called to divinity. And so, the Holy Spirit in you, the Word inside of you, and the blood is dwells inside of you. What does this mean? That you are a new creation. And that means you have the authority and the power to radiate this power. And so you can proclaim according to what the Spirit speaks. That when you say to the devil, get out, the power of the Spirit is proclaimed by your lips. When the Word moves inside of you, you proclaim the power of the Word. You proclaim the power of creation. Because you have the power of the blood inside of you, when you say blood of Jesus, you can proclaim that blood. You proclaim the power. When you go to a place, some places is a place where people always die. That means that there is this life of death. And so you proclaim the blood by the blood of Jesus. Then there is no longer death over that place. You have the power to proclaim the blood. There's a place where many witches gather. You sprinkle the blood of Christ. Proclaim the power of the Spirit. Filthy spirits, I cast you out. Proclaim by the power of the Word that I cast you out, you filthy spirits. That's why Paul calls you a new creation. Hallelujah. Bless the person next to you. You are a new creation. You are a new creation. You are a new creation. I want the same intensity. You are a new creation. <laughs> Look at how much we have been deceived by the great prostitute. As if salvation is just simply you going to heaven. As if it's simply you being forgiven of your sins. And so that's what the Catholic Church has done, made you beg God and just say, oh, thank you for finally at least saving me to go to heaven. That's not why God saved you. God saved you to make you his son. God saved you to make you his heir. God has saved you to make you a new creation in the Holy Spirit as a glorious child embodying his entire righteousness. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Let us gather uh, 7 o'clock today. And so let us receive all the glory that God has given you. Proclaim it. Reclaim it. Reclaim it. That I am a child of the King. That I am a new creation. That I am an heir of God. I am an heir of God. That in me is the blood of Christ. In me is the Spirit of God. In me is the Word of the
enjoy your dinner, and let us meet again at 7.30. Amen.